This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by S-Smart. Now selling a 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, S-Smart's top of the line, retailing for $109.95. Shop smart. Shop S-Smart. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's finishing up on series week, I guess you can say. Trilogy completion. <laughs> With And you can't even say that, because one of them's a remake, and there's a remake of Evil Dead that we did. And so this would be the fourth Evil Dead movie that we've done. So you can't, it's whatever. We're finishing up some series here, uh, including remakes and reboots and sequels and all of that with 1992's Army of Darkness and the 2019 version of Pet Cemetery, the eponymous Pet Cemetery. And at the end of the episode, we'll talk some uh, some of our thoughts on Dr. Sleep, speaking of wrapping up some franchises. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What is Norman Bates's hobby in the movie Psycho? He stuffs things. Do you know what that's called? Uh, It's called... I'm not going to give it to you unless you can. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> it's called... um. Uh, mm-hmm. All I can think of is necromancy. I know that's not it. It's just that's all that's coming to my mind right now. It's called maybe the fact that you can't think in words is a problem. It is <laughs> okay. Listen, this is like a thing right now where people are talking about how some people think in words, other people don't think in words, and they have to translate it to words. Uh. And Kelsey and I are on opposite sides of that. She thinks in words, and I do not. So. <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing. I don't know how you function. It makes it it makes recalling names and things like that very, very difficult. Because I when I think of people, I don't think of their names. And so having to, like, find their names somewhere in the deep recesses of my brain is very <laughs> difficult. So there is there's definitely downsides to that. It's called Stuffing Things. Taxidermy. Thank you. You fail. The name doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> the actual thing, what you're physically doing. Uh, okay, Kelsey. What single white female actress and daughter to another famous actor makes a cameo appearance in Army of Darkness as Ash's girlfriend, Linda? Really? Yes. Oh, I don't know her name. Bridget th- Fonda. Is that really Bridget Fonda? Yes. Oh. Okay. Who you might also know from Jackie Brown, among other things. Amongst other things. Her mother was the workout lady, right? No, her aunt is Jane Fonda. Oh. <laughs> Susan Brewer is her mother. Oh. 
<laughs> anyway, before we get to the movies, uh, there is one thing I want to add. We did finally actually commit to a promise that we made a while back. It's just been really hectic since we got back from uh, the wedding and the vacation. So we do finally have a box that you can send things to. It's a mailbox with an address and everything. So for all those people out there who are requesting a location where they could send something to, whatever that may be, you can actually do that now. And that address is 5753 East Santa Ana Canyon Road, Suite G number 290. And Sweet that's G. Sweet G. Sweet G, number 290, and that's in Anaheim Hills, California, 92807. Uh, I will actually put that in the description, and I'll do that going forward. I'll put it on the website and all of that. So in case you're looking for it, you can find it there. Anything you want to send us it would be really greatly appreciated. But let's move on to our first movie, 1992's Army of Darkness, directed by Sam Raimi, written by Sam and Ivan Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell, Embeth Davids, and Marcus Gilbert. Ted Raimi is also in this movie, of course. Kelsey was like, okay, where is he? And she was looking for him. He's a couple of different uh, things. He uh, plays, I think... Four different characters. You see him most directly at the end in S-Mart. He's the one that Ash is telling the story to. He says, you can count on my steel. He's also the cowardly soldier guy. We said last time we talked about this movie that originally, I think the, the trivia question. As a matter of fact, it was the trivia question in the episode, episode 80, where we talked about Pet Cemetery, the 2019 version. Uh, we gave our non-spoilery thoughts. I'll talk about what we actually had to say uh, when we get to that movie. But the trivia question I had for you was what was Army of Darkness originally supposed to be called? Do you remember what the answer to that is? Evil Dead 3? It's funny because you even said, I asked you, what period does the movie take place in? And you said the 1300s. And that is exactly right, by the way. <laughs> you pulled that out of nowhere. Did I really? Yes. That's cool. <laughs> but what is, uh, what's that era called? Knights and Kings and... The Medieval Period? Uh-huh. You might call a sequel to The Evil Dead that takes place during the Medieval, medieval Period. Medieval Dead. There you go, yeah. <laughs> they should have done that. They should have. But Universal said no. Um, they didn't like that title. Also, they wanted the movie to stand on its own, so they didn't want it called Evil Dead 3, Army of Darkness. Because all of them give you the same story? Kind of, but this movie doesn't stand on its own, really. Like, there's so it much It does, because exposition. it tells you everything that happened. It does, but in, like, a period of three minutes, it just crams all this story in. And, and if you've never seen the other movies, it's like a good refresher, but if you've never seen them... You might be really confused as to what the hell is happening and who this guy I is. I can tell you right now... I saw Army of Darkness first. I think I might have as well. All that shit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter right, the right, story. Right. No, but you watch it with the knowledge that this is not a standalone movie. And Universal is out here trying to tell people that it is. It's very weird. It's very obviously not a standalone movie. He already has his hand cut off. He already has a chainsaw. A motherfucking chainsaw! What? You know, all this stuff is already established by this point. But... 
in the UK, they did call it Army of Darkness, the Medieval Dead. But in Japan, one of its titles, because it was released under more than one title, one of its titles is Captain Supermarket. Awesome. (laughs) I thought was pretty cool. That's awesome. What is Army of Darkness about, Kelsey? Ash has been sent to 1300 and... He has to defeat the evil dead in 1300. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Basically. Uh, it's free with a subscription to Stars. You can rent it on iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google, Vudu, the Microsoft Store, all for $4, or buy it on those same services for $10. Should people watch the movie? Yeah, it's fun. Wow. I felt dismissive. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, well, obviously, if you're an Evil Dead fan, obviously you need to see it. But if you're an Evil Dead fan, then you've already seen it. But if you've enjoyed the Evil Dead movies from past episodes, then... Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's more of that. (laughs) It's fun. The problem with this movie is that there are so many different versions... That have come out. There's the theatrical version that was released in the U.S. Then there was one in Europe. Then there was the director's cut. Then there was another cut uh, made for American television. Which version did we watch? I couldn't tell you. We watched the version that's on Stars. So cool. Yeah, the the TV version is actually the one that's the most comprehensive. It has the most scenes restored to it. Really? Yes. Uh huh. So if you buy the Army of Darkness box set, you actually get all of these versions. So with that said, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1992's Army of Darkness. It's demonic. You shall die! Let's go. It's romantic. What of all the, the sweet words that you spoke? Well, that's just what we call pillow talk, baby. It's like nothing you've ever seen. Give me some sugar, baby. <laughs> From Sam Raimi, director of Evil Dead and Darkman. Get him! Comes Army of Darkness. Groovy. Rated R. All right, Kels, get us started. How does Army of Darkness begin? Do we get the backstory first, or do we see Ash as a slave first? I can't remember. Well, he does one of those, like... Yep, that's me. My name is Ash. You're probably wondering how I got here. You know, like one of those. My name is Ash, and I'm a slave. Yeah. 1300, and I'm being dragged to my death. Uh Uh-huh. My name is Ash, and I am a slave. (sighs) Close as I can figure it, the year is 1300 AD, and I'm being dragged to my death. It wasn't always like this. I had a real life once. A job. He explains that he works for, that he originally worked for a place called S-Mart, and he tells us his backstory, basically relives all of Evil Dead 2 in, like, five seconds. Yeah. This is where we get Bridget Fonda. What movie did we just watch where it was the Sumerians? It came from the Sumerian. Oh, The Exorcist. The Exorcist, yeah. Because apparently the Book of the Dead comes from the Sumerians. Yeah. So I wrote down, it's always the Sumerians. <laughs> Necronomicon Ex Mortis. The Book of the Dead. Found in human flesh and inked in blood. This ancient Sumerian text contained bizarre burial rites, funerary incantations, and demon resurrection passages. It was never meant for the world of the living. 
He explains that when he got sucked into the vortex, he got sent back to 1300. And when he landed, they were like, surround the stranger. And they're basically Merlin character is like, I think this is the guy that has been sent to save us from the deadites. The prophecy, yeah. Which were they called deadites before? Where does that come from? This movie, I, too? I don't. I mean, they're always deadites. I just don't know. I just don't think the movie actually ever called them that until now. We should probably say too, if you watch the ending of Evil Dead Two, where he lands here, he is hailed as a as a yeah. savior after killing a flying deadite. Yeah, it does not happen at the beginning of this one. Yeah, they, they take that out here. That. Yeah, he's just immediately captured. Because they wanted this opening scene. Uh, he also doesn't have his gray streak anymore, you may have noticed. Oh, yeah. Towards the true. end when he sees the plant die and then he gets the gray streak in his hair. And yeah, that they just forgot about that for this. <laughs> so the Merlin character is like, I think he's come to save us. And he's like, that buffoon? I don't think so. So <laughs> they end up taking they think he's part of the army that they just defeated duke henry the red yeah he remind me of tormund maybe a little bit <laughs> anyway so they think he's part of their opposing army even though he's not and they even bring up the fact that he's not dressed from their time period they still think he is and they put him into stocks, and somehow it's, yeah, it's a little, his it's a, stump gets uh, stuck in the stocks. It's a very obvious joke. It's very cute. <laughs> when they the get, movies just keep getting more and more comedic is what happens. This one is just a straight-up comedy. Yes. When they get to the pit that they're taking them to, what does he say that he's like, well, look at Mr. Fancy Pants. I am Henry the Red, Duke of Shale. Lord of the Northlands and leader of its peoples. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. And Jack left town. <laughs> this movie is so funny. And I'm glad that I saw this one first. Uh-huh. Because, okay. I saw this one first and... Yes, it's got a lot of stupid humor that I don't like, but it's also got a lot of really funny humor. Uh -huh. So I was brought into it like, oh my god, this is really funny. And then I saw the original Evil Ted, which is also funny, but not really intentional, not, not nearly as intentionally so. And it has that creepy factor that I still say it's pretty creepy, even though it's silly. And then I finally saw the second one, which is pure stupid humor. And yes, it's punctuated with parts that make me laugh, die laughing. And it's got some of the best lines. But of the three, I'm sorry, it's the dumbest of the three. I mean, I, I went and looked up our old ratings for all three of the other Evil Dead movies that we've talked about on the show. And the highest rating you gave uh, was to the original, mm -hmm. and then the sequel, and then the remake. But they're all pretty close together, actually. <laughs> so I'm curious to see where you put this one. But anyway, go on. There's a woman. And see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, parts of it are slightly smart humor. So there's this poor woman, and she spits on him, and she's like bloodthirsty sons of whores, which is funny because all she's looking forward to is seeing them be killed. Uh -huh. 
They throw in the first guy, and there's just this gigantic burst of blood. Yeah, which is totally unrealistic, and it's not trying to be. Especially when you know what's down there. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have created that. Just, I mean, we'll see later on. All she does is just punch him. <laughs> like, what happened? Where's the geyser of blood? <laughs> exactly. This moment is really funny. He gets pu- He gets hit by a rock and gets pushed into the pit where he gets attacked by a deadite. Uh-huh. Right? It is a dead eye. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, I didn't even write what it was, but I wrote down, oh my God, this is the moment that grabbed me. That was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Uh-huh. So something funny happened. It just keeps there. punching him over and over and over again. And it even does the like swinging fist and then punching him thing. And it's just ridiculous. And very Three Stooges violence, you know, which is so it probably exactly wasn't what that. he's into. Uh, and then the old man comes, the wise man comes and, and throws him his chainsaw. What? That's what it was. She jumps up yes. and connects immediately. Yes. And he uses it to cut off the deadite's hand, which flies out of the pit and grabs one of the onlookers by the face. And then one of the other guys laughs at him. <laughs> no, it was definitely the um the chainsaw, which is funny because when you consider the fact that I hadn't seen the second one. Uh-huh. So I didn't know what that was, but I remember seeing it in college and being like, I don't know what the fuck that was, but it was hilarious uh-huh. and it was great. And then the guy in the mask popped out of nowhere, just the, like in... The pit bitch is what they call him. Just like in Legends of the Hidden Temple. Uh-huh. <laughs> they would jump out and grab you. Same exact thing. <laughs> So Ash gets up there somehow. How does he get back up? He grabs onto the chain that's used to to spin to close the spikes. So there's spikes coming on either end, and he gets out, and it closes around the pit bitch. So how the pit bitch comes back out, who cares? Don't think too much about it. But he climbs out, and he's really upset, and he's really angry, and what's-his-face is going to fight him? The, the king. But he says... Your shoelace is untied, which is stupid because they didn't well, the have shoelaces. the guy doesn't look for a while. He's like, what are you talking about? And he looks down and then he punches him. And so the guy's like, I'm going to fight you. And he pulls out his sword. And he kicks the sword boy. Yeah. He puts <laughs> his foot the, on the sword boy the and sword kicks out. him away. Yeah. No, it's so good. <laughs> and then Ash ends up shooting him with his shotgun. How does shotgun. he get his gun? They don't say. But I assume it's with his stuff, so the wise man probably had it. Ask the writers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, kid. Ask the writers. <laughs> Mr. Campbell, yeah. when you were in Army of Darkness, uh-huh. when you're stuck down in the pit, how'd you get your shotgun back? I'll talk to the writer, man. I don't know. Yeah, this is my boomstick. Yes, and he gives his boomstick speech. What does he call them? All right, you. I forget what he calls them. <laughs> it's really Yes, funny. what is it that, oh, shit. You primitive ape something. I don't remember. He makes fun of them mercilessly after this. He calls them primitive screwheads. Primitive screwheads. The line is, all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. You see this? This is my boomstick. <laughs> all right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. <laughs> The 12-gauge double-barreled Remington, S-Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. 
You got that? <laughs> they also don't explain how he still has bullets. <laughs> yes. He doesn't have a Remington. It's not a Remington. It's a 12-gauge Stoger coach gun. So I'm, I'm on the Internet Movie Firearms database <laughs> looking into this. Yeah, why they couldn't call it that? No, it, but just looking into, like, what the kind of gun it actually is and, and what it's actually capable of. And so they write about how the coach gun holds two shells, which is what I thought, right? So you, you crack it. And then you put in two shotgun shells, one in either barrel, and then you close it again. And then you fire two, and then you pop it again. Those pop out, or you pull them out, and you put two more in. He fires the gun three times during the this is my boomstick scene. He fires it four times when he fires on the pit bitch. But according to the Internet Movie Firearms Database, every time he fires both shells, the shot changes to something else. And then a soft clicking sound is heard. Apparently, he's a very fast reloader, especially for a guy with only one hand. (laughs) But he's not. So when it seems like he's firing, firing, firing when he should only be able to fire twice. He, it does cut away and you hear a click and then it, then it comes back. Of course he's good at it. He's Ash. <laughs> After this display of, this vulgar display of power, <laughs> he begins to live like a king. And he's all these women and he's got all these, all this food and all this shit. And then one of the people gets taken over by a deadite. And they do the typical deadite thing. You shall die. We shall feast upon your soul. And then it pretends to be dead, and one of the people starts to walk towards it, and Ash stops him. It's a trick. Yes. Because Ash knows all their tricks. Uh-huh. And he ends up doing a roundhouse kick on the deadite and uses his gun backwards. Uh, and then he does that shiver thing. <sighs> <laughs> I forget what he says groovy about this time. When they make his hand. Oh. They make him a hand out of armor and a bunch of gears and stuff like they don't explain how they can do it. Nope. But they do it. And when he when he has it, he crushes a goblet and he's like groovy. <laughs> <sighs> groovy. But why are they getting him all prepared? What's he supposed to do? Defeat the deadites? He's supposed to get the Book of the Dead. So his goal He wants it because he wants to go home. Yes, why his do they goal want is to it? go back home. They need it. To defeat the the army of the dead. We meet Ash's girlfriend this time. Because he gets a new girlfriend every movie. Yes. Uh, uh, Including the, the first two, where it's the same chick. Embeth <laughs> uh, Davids, oh, no, who it's plays not. Sheila. It's a different chick, isn't it? Because the first one was his original girlfriend. The second one is the daughter of the guy. But are they supposed to be the same person? Well, he brings the same person, and then, but then the second movie, it's, yeah, anyway. M. Beth Davids plays Sheila, whose brother was killed by the the soldiers of Duke Henry the Red. And so she originally thought he was a bastard. And she, like, spit on him and hit him yeah. and stuff. And so when she comes back to apologize, he's like, oh, first you hated me, now you love me? Why don't you blow? Or whatever it is that he says. <laughs> He says, <laughs> I forget what she says. She says something. He's like, what were you, raised in a barn? 
What am I kidding? You probably were raised in a barn. <laughs> She's like, I've made you all these things. Here's a blanket I made for you. Oh, good. I need a horse blanket. And then she slaps him because she realizes he's still a jerk. Uh-huh. Even if he is their savior. Yep. And then he, like, rips her hair down and they end up and, like, give me some sugar, baby. That's that famous uh-huh. line. But, like, she goes from hating him in one second. Oh, it's that cliche sort of like aggression leads to sex you know yes but yes so they're telling him you need to go get the book of the dead and he tells him the words so the words are the actual three words are klatu barata nikto but the movie everyone in the movie says varata but it doesn't seem to matter And he says, he says it again, and he's like, say it again. I got it, I got it. <laughs> when thou retrievest the book from its cradle, you must recite the words, Klatu Verata Niktu. Klatu Verata Niktu, okay. Well, repeat them. Klatu Verata Niktu. Again! I got it, I got it! I know your damn words, all right? He refuses to say the words over and over again because he doesn't want to... Because he's an asshole. Because he's Ash. (laughs) So he gets chased by the wind again, by the camera. Yes, on horseback. And the horse ends up running away and he needs to run into a windmill, Windmill. which is the only shelter that's there. And there's a mirror in there. And when he sees what looks like his own reflection, like watching him funny, he breaks it and it shatters. And so now we have a bunch of smaller reflections of him in the broken mirror on the floor. And when he turns away to start like making food or something like that, all these little mini ashes pop up and start tormenting him. Yes. Until eventually they knock him out. Well, he spears so, one of them with a fork. and Yeah, he tries <laughs> to kill them and he tries to smash them. London Bridge is <laughs> falling down, falling down. <laughs> and then when he steps on yeah. him, the, the, the little version has a nail. Yeah. Which makes him fall. And they tie him up like they're Lilliputians. From uh, Gulliver's Travels. Yes. He ends up obviously being able to get out of it. But not before one of they, them. they force him to swallow one of them. Yes. So two of them, like, hold his nose plugged, which is very obviously a composite shot. And one falls into his stomach. And in order to kill this one that's in his stomach, he drinks boiling hot water. At first he tries to throw him up. Yes, but can't, can't do, do that. It. Yeah. Then he drinks boiling hot water. And Which that then, seems to kill him. But then he starts feeling a tickling on his arm. And he sees his eye. Yeah, this eye opens up on his shoulder. And then as he freaks out and he runs away, and then we can see a head pop out of his shoulder. And, and then we can see there's, there's two torsos. Yeah. And eventually they end up fully splitting. And now we have good Ash. And bad and Ash. bad Ash. I'm bad Ash. <laughs> You're good Ash. <laughs> Little goody two shoes. Little goody two shoes. I'm bad Ash. And you're good, Ash. You're goody little two-shoes. You're goody little two-shoes. Goody little two-shoes. <laughs> little goody two-shoes. 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 <laughs> but then he ends up shooting him, and he has the great line of good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. Yes. Cuts off his head and buries him. 
and the bad ash is like ah, we're gonna get you i'll come back ah and he's like what that what's that you got on your face he's like huh what and then just dirt right on his face <laughs> perfect perfectly delivered and then buries him uh and then moves off to go back to the graveyard with the horse which he found again i guess uh he gets up to the altar in the cemetery and he finds three necronomicons three books Hold it. Nobody said anything about three books. Surprise! There's three books. Nobody said anything about three books. He opens the first one, and it's a suction portal, like a black hole thing that sucks him into it. And as he pulls himself out of it, it stretches out his face. So there's some fun facial prosthetic work that they do with this. And he spins his head around to shorten it. And there's several different phases to him getting back to normal, where his face gets shorter and shorter and shorter. It's very cute. Yes. Then there's one where the mouth on it opens up and bites his hand. Just like in Harry Potter. Just like in Harry Potter. Um, or rather, Harry Potter is just like in this. Until finally he gets to the third one when he remembers, oh, wait, the ma- the magic words. Right. Which he didn't even think about with the first two, but whatever. <laughs> And he can't remember what the third magic word is. And he says, Klaatu Verata. It's definitely an N word. Definitely an N word. (laughs) Wait a minute. The words. Right, right, right. Say the words. Klaatu Verata. Necktie. Nectar. Nickel. Definitely an N-word. Klaatu. Miranda. Okay, then. That's it. He's like, well, there. I've said the magic words. Did they not know, like, what that sounded like? Guess not. And he's like, oh, well, okay. I guess it works. I said the magic words. I guess I'll be leaving now. Like to whoever might be listening for him to say the magic words. And he goes and he takes it. But then he gets attacked by a bunch of skeletons. And he makes his way out. He's able to escape on the horse. He rides back. Meanwhile, Bad Ash comes back from the dead now. Because he didn't say the words right. And decides to, I guess, just make himself the leader of the army of the dead. And he has a cool helmet on, and he's all messed up in the face and everything. Yeah, he doesn't look like Evil Ash anymore. No, but he still talks like him, although he's, he also has the sort of medieval speech as well. So, anyway, we'll get to it. And when he gets back, they're like, hey, he came back, he brought the Book of the Dead, we're saved! And, like, the first thing that the wise man asks him is, did you say the magic words? Basically. I mean, not exactly, but basically, yeah. When you removed the Necronomicon from the cradle, did you speak the words? Yeah, basically. Did you speak the exact words? Look, maybe I didn't say every single little tiny syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Dung-eating fool! Thou hast doomed us all! When thou misspoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. Thou hast doomed us! (laughs) Because what that means is, is it raised more of the army of darkness. And now they're doomed. And we have the book and we can send you back. 
but we're screwed. But they're like, but they're like, but you're gonna stay and save us, right? And he's like, no, we made a deal. Yeah, I brought the book. That was the deal. You send me back. <laughs> what a wretched excuse for a man. Yeah, and he's feeling really guilty about it. He and he like he he feels bad about. It. He's like, it's over. I didn't have what it took because. The girl comes to him and she's like, I know that you'll end up saying, uh, saving us. And he's like, I obviously won't. I don't have what it takes. And she's like, but what about all the things that you said to me? And he's just like, ah, oh, babe, that's what we call pillow talk. <laughs> and then she calls him a coward. Uh, and then one of the deadites takes her. And yeah, that's flying when, one comes and takes her. And that's when he's like, all right. I gotta do something about this. So she gets taken back to Bad Ash and the Army of Darkness. He has his way with her, I guess you could say. He says, give me some sugar, baby. And he forces himself on her and ultimately turns her into a deadite version of herself. And so she's this beautiful, you think me beautiful (laughs) or pretty or whatever it is she says. So now he's invested and he's got to get Sheila back. He ends up. There's this montage scene of him having them make bullets and teaching them how to fight, which is funny because they use it later and they show that it's totally worthless. Yeah, but he needs to make gunpowder, so he goes to his car and he gets out his Chemistry 101 book, because if you remember, he's a student in this series. He goes to, what, Michigan? I think so. Uh, So when he opens his trunk, we see multiple things in there. One of the things we see in there is... A copy of Fangoria magazine because mm-hmm. they were initially very um, influential in getting the first film seen by people because they reviewed it positively. There's also a special edition of, of a Dark Horse collection. The one that has the first installment of Sin City in it is in his trunk as well. But they get the Chemistry 101 textbook so they can make gunpowder. And in order to look at a bag of gunpowder better, the wise man puts it, like, close to the flame. And he's like, ah. (laughs) Then he moves the candle. (laughs) And then so they're all getting set up. And they're doing something to the car. But we don't see what yet. Now, basically, the rest of this movie is going to be the big final battle. When they say, oh, so many of our people have already fled, fearing the army of the dead. There's only 60 of us left. Ash says, then we're going to get Henry the Red and his men, and they're going to join us and help us defeat the army of dead. And they're all skeptical of that. But then, big battle scene, lots of action beats. Were there any in particular here that you saw that you liked? I don't know that I liked, but there are things I want to talk about. Okay. This is kind of the part where I was like, <laughs> uh-huh. It's a good 20 minutes of just battle scene. Yeah. It's not a long movie. The movie's less than an hour and a half long. The part, I I enjoyed that all of the different skeletons had, like, different backgrounds. Like, there were the Scotsmen. And, there yeah. were the Scotsmen that were doing the bagpipes. And then uh-huh. there were the ones that were dressed up like they were from Asia. And uh-huh. then... And there's the the skeletons that are playing the flutes. Yeah, like... Even though they don't have any lungs. Exactly. It's just cute, yeah. There's a lot of really silly stuff like that. Yeah, at one point, Sheila comes in, comes back to him, and he's like, oh, God. And he's distracted by her, the fact that she's a deadite now. And she's like, you loved me once. And he's like, yeah, well, you got ugly, baby. (laughs) You got real ugly, baby. (laughs) You found me beautiful once. Honey... You got real ugly. 
And then Tormund's group comes to their aid. Yes, uh uh-huh. And they start wiping up all of them, but Bad Ash is still alive, and so they get into a big fight, and there's a lot of stop motion, which is really neat. Very Ray Harryhausen. At some point he says, come to Papa. These are all things that I apparently thought were funny. I hate the part that he kills her, even though I know she can't be saved. Well, she comes back. She is saved. Really? Yeah. Which is weird. Oh, right? but she was saved. Ah, yeah. That's my next note. <laughs> yeah, he like, so it looks like he spears her with the yeah. spear and then throws her off the ramparts. Yes. But I don't think he does actually spear her. I think he just lifts her and uses his leverage to throw her over and she lands on the ground below, but she doesn't actually die. He also comes out in his Oldsmobile. It's all kitted out. To be like this big thing. That's why he gets distracted because he's driving that and then she comes out. He's like, oh, God. And he like falls out of it and it flips over and crashes. Uh, But yeah, it's all kitted out to like ram into people and run them over and crush them and hit them and and fire things. And but yeah, that crashes when he finally sees her. But he ultimately dispatches her. He ultimately dispatches Bad Ash by he lands on not a trebuchet, but a catapult that has big bag of gunpowder on it. Badash lands on that and has the Book of the Dead in his hand and he's mocking him, but the fuse on this bag has already been lit. And so instead, Ash cuts the line that triggers the catapult, grabs the book, and throws Badash with this giant bag of gunpowder out into the air where it explodes and kills him. And so they succeed, and then there's this tense moment where... Henry the Red and Lord Arthur are like facing off against each other, but instead of fighting, they hug and they celebrate and they're, they just sort of shout into the ether that, oh, we're all the same people again. We're brothers and a new kingdom shall be born. Who's going to be the boss? Who the fuck knows? Doesn't matter. Everyone's really happy. And then you find out that he left. And he's been telling this whole story. To a guy he works with at Smart. Yeah, they ended up sending him back and... Even though they offered to make him a king and yeah, he could so have been with the love of his life. He, what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to take this potion that they made for him and then read the three words. And so he says, yeah, I could have been their king, but I, I had to go back to my own time. My place is here. Yes. And so Ted Raimi, who's the guy he's telling the story to, seems kind of bored. He's like, well, did you say the words right this time? Basically. And he says the same exact thing that he says the first time. But my place is here, so I swallowed the juice, said the words, and here I am. Did you say the words right this time? Well, maybe I didn't say every single tiny little syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Basically. And that's when... Well, there's this other girl who shows up and is like, hey, I, I was listening to your story and it sounds so impressive. And and then, yes, this deadite pops out of nowhere and he needs to fight them. And he does I'll so. swallow your soul. I'll swallow your soul. Yeah, it says Come that, get that classic one. So this time he's using a Winchester Model 1892 saddle ring carbine with a trapper loop handle. Come get some. Yeah, he fires... 37 shots without reloading here in this scene, even though that weapon can only hold 9 to 13 rounds. 
Sorry, I just really needed to look into it because it is fucking egregious how many shots he fires here. And he ends up taking her out and then he... Hail to the king, he baby. kisses the woman who was talking to him earlier and says, hail to the king, baby. Yeah. That woman, by the way, is Angela Featherstone. She's the copy girl from Friends. Uh, she's also in Con Air. But I know her best as Ben Stiller's significant other in Zero Effect. I would know those eyes fucking anywhere. doesn't matter what color hair they give her, because she always seems to have different color hair in every movie she's in. But yes, I absolutely recognize her. The original ending wasn't supposed to end this way. Originally, he was supposed to take the potion and say the words, but because he doesn't get the words right, he falls asleep like Rip Van Winkle, and he wakes up, and it's like the post-apocalypse. I slept too long, or whatever it is that he says. They did film this scene. Oh, God. No. No. I slept too long. Uh, and that was going to be a potential ending leading into another sequel where he fights the Deadites in the post-apocalypse which they never made. Instead, the follow-up to this is the TV series Ash vs. the Evil Dead, which, we've which never takes watched. place in modern times, saying that, okay, no, that was not canon. What happens in the actual release of this movie is the actual canon ending. Do you have any lightning round stuff, Kelsey? There are a lot of really funny lines that I wrote down that I don't know what they're in reference to. Uh, this movie is very, very silly. It's hilarious, not a whole lot of plot or anything like that. Just kind of putting Ash in a different setting, killing more deadites. Uh, and that's kind of all you need. I mean, do you need anything else from an Evil Dead movie? Not really. As long as Ash is there killing deadites, being awesome, I think you're good. So I think we talked about this when we talked about The Silence of the Lambs, but Universal and Dino De Laurentiis, because this is a De, a De Laurentiis uh, movie, we're arguing about Hannibal Lecter and who owns the rights to make Hannibal Lecter movies. One of the things, because they were in a feud, because they were arguing about this, this was sort of like hurt by proxy. And even though it was done, it just sat unreleased for a year until they could resolve this dispute. Then it was ultimately released. Bruce Campbell talked about he how he wasted a year of his life waiting for the film to get released. It just didn't come out. But ultimately, Universal made a new cut of the film, and that's what was the, the U.S. theatrical cut, like right before it, it was finally released. So I thought that was, that was interesting. In order to make it seem like the chainsaw was running all the time, there was somebody smoking cigarettes and blowing into a pipe, like a tube, that would run up his leg and then out his arm and come out of the chainsaw. So it's just cigarette smoke. At one point, somebody, it must be the Merlin character when he's giving it to him or something. Somebody like puts their hand right on the blade. Oh, just yeah. Uh -huh. Showing the you that there's guy. nothing there. Well, it's, it's the motion that, that makes <laughs> chainsaws deadly. It's a chain. But it's a that, blade. No, it's not a blade. It's, it's a not? chain. I mean, think of it. Think of it more like a chain you might have on a bicycle. Right. Yeah. Now it's. it's but there's it's, no blade. They're, they're sharp point. They're like teeth. Yeah. But you can touch it. I mean, there are different blades on different chainsaws. But yeah, you can touch it. I mean, that's about it. That's kind of all I had to say about it. It's a great movie. It's, yeah. It's hilarious. 
you love Ash, you love Evil Dead. Like, I mean, just, it's just more of that. This <laughs> is the quintessential Ash, though. When you think about who Ash is, it's the Ash from Army of Darkness. Uh, because it's the amalgamation of everything he's done yeah, at that point. So but, it's exactly. all the funny lines, it's all the funny Plus characteristics. Plus all the new ones that are unique to this movie. So yeah, yeah it just kind of builds him up into this one character, and this is the one. So with that said, what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 79? 73. Army of Darkness is a madcap adventure worth taking thanks to Bruce Campbell's hammy charm and Sam Raimi's acrobatic direction, although an intentional lack of shocks make this a discordant capper to the Evil Dead franchise. Yet yeah, it is not nearly as horror-focused as the first two were. Right, but it, I mean, like, it's because it realized what it was. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> a Metacritic of 57, no cinema score. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? Just slightly underrated. I would give it a 79. Okay. That's what I would give it. So, you gave Evil Dead 81 and 88. You gave Evil Dead 2, 86, and 85. You gave Evil Dead 13 and 82. This would make this one your lowest rated one. Huh. Not changing it. Okay. That is weird, though. I guess I give it a 79, and I guess I see why it's probably the lowest. Not because of nostalgia or love. It's a pretty silly movie. I mean, like, yes. movie-wise, like, there's not... There's not a whole hell of a lot going on. Sure. And because we've already seen the all the Evil Dead movies, like, this is more of that. I don't know. I'd give it an 85, I think. I, which also makes it close to the lowest for me. It's also probably the least exceptional when it comes to, like, special effects. They yeah. did the least with this one, I feel. I know, I feel like, no, they did a lot, but they didn't do it as well, I think. It's not as inventive right. with, with, with how they accomplish the things that they're doing. Exactly. There's a lot of really bad green screen, way more than in the other ones. Yeah, they didn't do as many practical effects. It was, it was, so, it was so focused on being comedic that the practical effects that they did do, it seemed that their value was comedy and not fear. And so, so it probably, it just seems like, it seems like they weren't trying quite as hard this time. Yeah. No. Okay. I would say effect for effect. You're right. But the num the sheer number of effects that they have in this movie are way greater than the other ones. So it's kind of hard to make that a direct comparison, but I, I definitely see what you're saying. There doesn't seem as much, as much blood, sweat, and tears went into this yeah, one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. Yeah, I'll give this one an 85, which places it just above the remake, which I gave an 84. Which, reminder, the remake from 2013 is way better than you might think it is. It was actually really good. Yes. I gave Evil Dead 2 a 90, and I gave The Evil Dead from 81, I gave it an 89. What did I rate highest? Evil Dead, the original, oh, with, with 88. Okay, good. So your your order is the original, Evil Dead 2, the remake, Army of Darkness. My order is Evil Dead 2, the original, Army of Darkness, the remake. Yeah. But they're all in the 80s for me, except for the 190 I gave to Evil Dead 2. When it comes to, to liking, I probably would put Army of Darkness above Evil Dead 2. But again, I see why I did that. Mm -hmm. 
Because Evil Dead 2... I appreciate when I can tell how hard somebody worked on a movie, how much it meant to them. Uh-huh. And I feel like you can see that more in Evil Dead 2. But I personally, if I was to choose between the two to watch, I would probably watch Army of Darkness simply because it was the first one I saw. So it has a soft spot in my heart. All right. That is 1992's Army of Darkness. Before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. You ready for an impossible question? I don't know whether this is sarcastic or not. Who wrote the short story on which the film Children of the Corn was based? Seriously? Mm-hmm. Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Outlander! <laughs> Chris loves that line and says it all the time. And you'd be surprised how many times the word outlander <laughs> is in things. <laughs> So every time, Outlanda. <laughs> we have your woman. <laughs> Kelsey, in what main town does Pet Cemetery take place? Ludlow. Bam! You've already asked me that. Can you tell me what other movie takes place or what other story from Stephen King takes place in Ludlow, Maine? Oh, no, this is what you asked me, because we watched the movie, and you were like, what is the same town? And I said, Ludlow. Shit. You are not thinking of it right now, I can guarantee you. Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. This You asked me this when we watched Pet Cemetery 2. You asked me, what town does it take place in? And I said, Ludlow. So you're telling me that there's another Stephen King story that takes place in Ludlow? One more. Or just mentions it? No, it takes place in Ludlow. Do you know, will you tell me, is it before or after Pet Cemetery happens? Do you even know? You don't I know. I don't know. I can tell you we've covered it on this show. That definitely limits it. But you're not thinking of it right now. But, but we've done it. Uh-huh. It can't be that hard. Uh-huh. We know that there's Derry. There's basically three major towns that he deals with. One is Derry. One is Castle Rock. And then there's Ludlow, which is about an hour away from Castle Rock. Castle Rock is where Cujo takes place, amongst others. Which, don't they mention Cujo in this movie? They do mention Cujo in this movie. They mention a St. Bernard. It's not Carrie. Nope. It's so funny, because we've done so many mm-hmm. Stephen I, King I, stories. I'm telling you, it's not one you're thinking of. Children of the Corn is in Nebraska. Uh-huh. Shining is in Colorado. Uh-huh. We haven't done a lot that's in Maine, which is funny. I don't know. The dark half. I told you you weren't thinking of it. <laughs> the only two stories that take place in Ludlow are Pet Cemetery and The Dark Half. You don't know if that happened before or after Pet Cemetery. I would assume afterwards because Timeline wise, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, in the dark, the dark half was uh, nineteen eighty nine, and the movie didn't come out till ninety three. So I would assume it's afterwards. Well, after he wrote it, but I'm asking within the within the world. I have no idea why. Because you think that the zombies take over the town after the movie? Not according to Pet Cemetery Two, <laughs> right? <laughs> but then again, King didn't write that. Anyway, that's uh, that's my little bit of trivia. You did get the question right, though. The question was Ludlow, uh, and, you, and you did get that. The movie we're talking about next, 
takes place in Ludlow, Maine, is 2019's Pet Cemetery, directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer, based on the novel by Stephen King, with the screen story by Matt Greenberg and screenplay by Jeff Bueller. It stars Jete Lawrence, John Lithgow, Amy Simitz, and Jason, what's his face? Clark, sorry, Jason Clark. What is Pet Cemetery 2019 about? It's the exact same thing as the original, except yes. for the ending, basic and well, gauge, but everybody fucking knows that because of the trailer. A doctor moves to moves to a tiny town in Maine to slow down and have more time with his family. And unfortunately, a truck kills off one of his offspring. And unfortunately, He's already been shown that there's a there's a place where if you bury things that are dead, they'll come back. So he makes the bad decision to bury his family members there. The movie is free on Epic's TV everywhere. You can rent it on iTunes for $6 or buy it on iTunes, Google Play, the Microsoft Store, Fandango Now for $15 or $8 on Amazon Prime or Vudu. Should people watch this movie? There's one reason to watch this movie and one reason alone. John Lithgow? No. He's great in this. He's fine. How dare you? <laughs> if you haven't read the book, if you haven't seen the original, and you're refusing to do either of those, it's yeah. the only reason to see this. This might be all right. Listen, okay, we talked about this in episode 80 after we saw it in the theaters. Uh, this was back in like April, I want to say, of last year, of 2019. And I was very mad. Yeah, you were. As as an apologist of adaptations, you know, Kelsey is very, very strong in her thoughts of, of like the original source material and sticking as close as you can to that. I don't really care about that as much, um, but it's it, every single decision they made about this movie to make a change was the wrong one, I felt. Now. Watching it again a second time, I've softened on a lot of that, but not everything. I, I I think the movie itself is whatever. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's great, but I also wouldn't say it's really bad either. Right. But if you've seen the original film or you've read the book, this is not great. This is not good. This is not good if you've done those. Yes. But if you, for whatever reason, if you're just like, fuck that shit, it's uh -huh. fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, I would also like to point out that about 100% of the trivia that you can find online about this movie is about the cats <laughs> that play church. <laughs> well, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 2019's Pet Cemetery. There are places in this world that bring things back. That cat was dead. Church. I know what you're thinking of doing, but then don't come back the same. Daddy. Sometimes dead is better. That cemetery, April 5th. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does 2019's Pet Cemetery begin? It starts at the end. Yes. Uh, it shows us the woods. It shows us that a house is on fire. We see some bloody handprints inside of a car. And then 
Back to the beginning. Yep. Sometimes things start in media res, like Army of Darkness, actually. This starts post-media res. I don't know if that's actually the, the phrase, but it's after everything's done. And then it goes back to tell you the story. Mm-hmm. So we meet the Creed family. Yeah. We have the mom and dad, the daughter, and the son. Same four that you're used to. Except that this time the focus is going to be on Ellie, his daughter, not Gage. Gage is there, but Gage is basically a toddler who can't even practically talk yet. I mean, but he's kind of perfect. He's like a perfect Gage. He feels like the original Gage. And it almost makes you wonder why they didn't keep it the way it was in the original when they had such a perfect Gage. We've mentioned this in the past episode uh, when we talked about it the first time we saw it, and I, I can't remember if we if we mentioned it in this episode, but I mean, effectively, they felt that it would be a lot easier, number one, to have the villain, per se, be a kid and not a toddler. They'd be more cooperative and they'd be easier to work with, plus they'd be more naturally intimidating And they could do more things that the toddler couldn't do. And, I mean, it seems like it's just a great big cop-out so they wouldn't have to put in the work. Yeah. That's exactly what it feels like. I I see where they're coming from where it's like, oh, well, you know, young kids who are like 8 to 12, like girls, are creepy. You know, we saw that with The Grudge. We saw that with The Ring, you know, like, but that's 20 fucking years ago. And it almost feels like this movie's trying to hop on that cliche bandwagon two decades too late. So I, I really struggle to find what they gain from this other than the fact that when she comes back, she can have conversations with the father that are more advanced than a toddler might have. Where in the original, we get Gage saying, it's not fair. No fair. No fair, no fair. And that's kind of all you get. We play, Daddy. Yeah. But that's creepy. That's creepy as hell. And so, but when you have a little girl and she can ask like existential questions about who she is and if she's dead and stuff like that, they think it adds more to it. I, I don't think it adds as much as they think it does, and I think it takes away a lot more than they think it does. Yeah. I I think it was the wrong decision completely, but I said from the moment I saw the trailer, were they ever going to find a kid that was as good as they did in the first movie? Probably not, but you're absolutely right. They didn't even try. And the first movie has the benefit of being kind of camp. So when Lewis is fighting off Gage, he's actually fighting a a, a dummy and it's very obvious. It has the benefit of the doubt there because it's a it's it's a more camp movie and this is less so. So I feel like maybe they thought they couldn't get away with that. I guess. Anyway, it shows that they're a happy family. They're moving to a new place, Ludlow, Maine. They're moving from Boston, which is funny because None of them have a Boston accent. Right. And the main guy is what, Irish? Uh, I'm sorry, who are you talking about? Sorry, that's my little joke. That uh, Jason Clark is <laughs> that guy perpetually. I actually wrote down some of the things we said about it in 
our initial spoiler-free thoughts in episode 80 was that Jason What's-His-Face continues his unending streak of being that guy. <laughs> He's actually Australian. But I also we also talked about how his accent slipped a lot and how much you noticed it. And you said that normally this is the sort of thing that I notice, <laughs> but even you noticed it in this one. Yes. And that's how bad it slipped throughout. And I noticed it again this time. Yeah. It is, it, it comes through quite a bit. Uh-huh. He he was struggling in this movie, which is weird because I've never seen, like, I don't remember Winchester great. He's fine in Winchester. But I don't remember that being a problem. Yeah. But this movie, I'm just like, oh my God, did he just forget he's an American for that line? And specifically a Bostonian yes. who has one of the most distinct accents in all of the United States. <laughs> yeah, so it was not good. So they get there and he ends up calling her Ellie the Great and Terrible. This whole place is the new domain of Elephant the Great and Terrible. And he even does a little bit of the Great and Terrible yeah. Now, if you've read the book, you would understand the reference, yeah. except that it's for a completely different character for completely different reasons. Yeah. Like, they literally just put it in this movie just as a callback to the book. But, right. It feels like when she says it later on, when there's the moment where she calls herself the great and terrible, it almost feels like it's out of nowhere because they just did not do a good job of establishing that as like a thing. I think they said movie. it a total of three times in the entire film. And once was when she called herself that. Yeah. It, again, it's a throwaway line that I think he calls her that twice in the entire movie. And the audience is just like, that was weird. Yeah. Unless you've read the book. And then if you've read the book, you're like, that's not what that's for. Yeah. That has a complete own story with Zelda. Like, yeah. but fine, fine, whatever. So they get there and immediately the mother is holding Gage and this gigantic truck comes down at an, a ridiculous speed down this this road. And she's like, oh, and he's like, are you okay? And just like, again, immediately, why wouldn't you put a fence? Right. Just your own wife, an adult woman, uh-huh. was almost hit by a truck. Right. You have two small children. Also, if this took place in modern day, you know they would be going to like city council meetings, petitioning to get speed bumps or stop signs or lower the speed limit there or something. Yes. Now, I understand that roads like this totally exist and and people absolutely go faster than they should. I understand that. But as far as I'm aware, when you drive a truck, you're put through completely different driving instructions. Yes, you have a different license. Because of the weight of your car and because of what it can do. Yeah. So it's just, it's hard to believe. It's really hard to believe. Because truck drivers, they represent their company. Yeah. What was he, texting or something? No. In this one? He's like looking at his phone for some reason. Is he looking at his phone? Yeah, but like there's something happens. Like he, it's not just him ignoring the road. Like like he drops his phone or something he happens. He drops something. That's yeah. what it is. He drops something. Um and so, like, just the fact that he's going at that speed to begin with in a residential area. Mm-hmm. 
But the thing is, here's the thing about truck drivers. They're not paid by trip. Well, sorry, let me let me put that a different way. They're paid by delivery, right? They're not paid by the hour. So the faster they can get somewhere, the more money they make. Understood. But also, if they hit somebody while driving a truck for their company, mm-hmm. they're fired. You're done. Yeah. You're done. You don't have a job anymore. And who's going to fucking hire you now? Short-term gain versus long-term concerns. I guess. So he's a call- He's a doctor for a college, and that's exactly why they moved here, so that he wouldn't have to do long hours at the hospital anymore. Specifically what he calls the graveyard shift, which is a Stephen King book, by the way. Well, in in the original novel, he was pulling the graveyard shift. Right, but I mean, it's just a reference to the Stephen King novel, the same name. So he goes off to work, and we get to see his wife and Ellie moving in, because Gage just, Gage is barely in the film. Yeah. At all. He's in there for, like, a fake-out, and he's in there for an emotional point at the end of the movie. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, no, he sees, what's his face? He sees the ghost partway through the movie. So, Ellie and her mother see... This group of kids dressed in these masks, which I remember seeing in the trailer and immediately being like, what the fuck is that? And not like a, oh, that's so weird. What is that? But in like a, oh, you're trying to be creepy, aren't you? And that's exactly what it was. And it's only in there for like a second. And then at the end, she yeah. wears one of the masks. Uh-huh. It's so dumb. It's such a contrivance. Like, it is a contrivance, yes. Kids in masks. Like, it... And they're animal masks. Like, I, I would almost argue, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but it looks like they're the same You're masks next. they were in Your Next. They're not, but it's pulling from that. The same reason why uh, there are wrestlers in the WWE who would wear those same masks, like the sheep mask and all of that. It, it comes from Your Next, which was also just playing on the creepiness of masks. Like, it's just another little creep trend they can hop on and not really pay off with. Yeah. So... They're going up to the pet cemetery to bury a dog, and her mother is uncomfortable with it because, as we know, Mrs. Creed is just petrified of death, and it all has to do with her sister. So, while her mom is distracted, Ellie runs after them to go and see what it's like. The kids are already gone at this point, so she's just looking around a pet cemetery, and she sees the deadfall. Mm-hmm. What is the deadfall? Basically, it's a wall of... Like a dry dam. Of broken branches and logs and Uh stuff and debris. And she is immediately pulled by the spirit to go up it. Which I think is funny because later Judd will talk about the pull. Yeah. Which I think they left out in the original film. And it leaves the audience wondering why these people are doing this. Yes. So this is one of the things we talked about in our first impressions that the movie does much better. It explains Judd's character much better, but it explains what's going on with this place a lot better. And they they just ditch the whole Micmac thing where, oh, it's an Indian burial ground. And they're like, it's... 2019, that'd be really fucking culturally insensitive to say that an Indian burial ground is the source of evil or whatever. So instead, what he eventually explains to Lewis is that even the Native Americans that came uh, here 
left quickly when they also felt the evil power. This is just an evil place. And it calls to you. It pulls you. It makes you behave in ways in which you wouldn't normally behave. And it convinces you of things that you normally wouldn't believe. And I think that does a much better job of explaining why certain people behave the way they do in this story. As opposed to the first film where you're just like, why did he do that? Yes. yes. Why did, specifically Judd. I can understand an emotional father just wanting his kid back. But like, why would Judd do that knowing what happens? As she's climbing up it. Judd appears out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And he's just like, get down from there. And so she falls. And apparently as she's falling, she gets stung by something. And so he pulls it out. They talk. Put some dirt on it. <laughs> rub some baking soda on it is what he tells them. He tells her to do, but he rubs some dirt on it. And that's when the mother shows up out of nowhere. I just love how these people just kind of pop up like they know exactly where Ellie yes. is. uh-huh. And of course, she's like, Ellie, get over here. Like, what are you, why are you talking to this strange man in the right. middle of the woods? Uh-huh. Um, if I was Rachel, I'd be kind of weirded out. <laughs> but he's very nice, and they're very polite, and then they go back to their house. And that night, Ellie asks about why, why do animals live so much shorter than humans? And this is because she saw them burying the dog, she saw the pet cemetery, and she has her cat, Church, yeah. who she's worried about. And he explains that the father, being a doctor, takes the very scientific way. Death is perfectly natural. It's, a, it's part of what we all yeah. do. And small animals have faster metabolisms, which just means they die faster. Why don't pets live as long as people? Do you remember that talk we had about metabolism? The clock in your body? Yes. Humans have a slow metabolism, a slow clock, so we live longer. Whereas cats and dogs, well, they have a fast metabolism, which means when it runs out... They die and go to the pet cemetery. Yeah. <clears throat> L.A. discovered a charming little landmark in the woods today, right in our backyard. Okay. Well, it doesn't have to be such a bad thing, does it? Hmm? A place to bury our pets and remember them. Might seem scary, but it's not. It's perfectly natural. Just like dying is natural. And the mother steps in and is like, well, don't worry, honey, because its soul is up in heaven. Oh, God. I, sw I swear to God. And she asks, what about your sister, Mommy? And she says, yes, of course, she's up in heaven, too. And when they go back to their own room, Lewis is like, what the fuck? Yeah. And now, I don't understand... Because they don't really make it clear. Do does this family have religious values, few, few, views and beliefs, or is it just that the mother is just trying to placate no, to her daughter? No, I think daughter? it's just she's trying to be like this is what adults tell children, and so this is what we're going to do without any consideration of whether or not it's actually effective, whether it's actually beneficial, and and totally undermines her husband in the process. But she does kind of act as if she's like, well, I believe in something, because she asks him, do you really believe in nothing? And he's like, of course. We die, we come part of the ground, and the animals eat it. It's all part of the fucking yeah. circle of life. But so, she does seem to believe that there is, like, a spirit world after. But I, I feel like it's just, like, 
They never go to church. It's just like, a, oh, this is what our culture believes because it is what we were told. He's he's saying, you know, we should be able to talk to her about this. And she does not think that that's true. She doesn't think that kids should have to hear about death and learn about death. Again, it's all because of her sister. So then the next day he goes to work. And at first it seems like it's going to be a totally typical day. And this is when, oh my god, there's so much blood. Oh, his brain. Oh, he was hit by a car. In comes Victor Pascal. I don't think they mention it. He's supposed to be a cyclist who gets yeah. hit by a car. Doesn't matter. They bring him in and the the girls who are supposed to be helping him aren't helping him because it's the scariest thing they've ever seen. These are just college kids uh-huh. uh, just trying to help out. And like they show it. It's pretty nasty. You can see his oh, yeah. brain through his skull. Uh-huh. And it looked, it looked pretty realistic. Yeah, it was a great effect. I'll give him that. He tries to save him, and it's funny because I don't think he does as much of a re- as a job of trying to save him as they do in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Which, well, because he just uh, like immediately goes into. But details. I feel like the whole point, the whole reason that Victor Pascal comes back is because you tried so hard to save me, and they kind of watered that down a little bit here. Yes, yeah, no, I agree, and I also don't think they did a good enough job of ex- of expanding on exactly what Victor was here to do and why. Uh, not only because of that, but I mean, like, he just kind of pops up in places and creeps Lewis out. There, And, and at one point he says, you tried to save me, so I'm going to try to save you. And that's it. But, like, they don't have – I felt like they could have done more. Regardless of the original book, regardless of the original movie, like, they could have done more to establish what the fuck Victor was and why he was hanging out and why he does the things that he does throughout the movie. I feel like this movie saw Victor as kind of a pointless character. So they should have just taken him the fuck out. That's what I'm getting at. He is kind of a pointless character. He tries to stop him several times. It never works. But when he can't, he goes to Rachel and he's the one that convinces Rachel to go back home. True. And so, like, he plays a very key role in the plot. And so if you're going to keep him in, establish why he's there in the fucking first place. Yes. As opposed to... It really felt like they kept him in just because he's in the book. Uh-huh. And they wanted to make book people happy. But it's like, you don't understand readers, clearly. It, if you're going to include something from the book, make it fucking make sense and make it worthwhile. Yeah. Same thing with calling her the great and terrible. Yeah. Pointless. Totally fucking pointless for your movie. It's almost insulting as a reader of the book. Because yeah. it's like... Just, oh, you like that, don't you? Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> like, you're just treating me like I'm a moron who's like, eh, it's from the book, Yay. I just want to check things off on a list. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. So he does tell him the barrier was never meant to be broken, which means nothing to him yet. <laughs> right, yeah, because nothing's been broken yet. And, hey, here's a question. Why wasn't the barrier broken any other time anyone buried anything there before? Why is now the time that the barrier is broken? No, it is. And that's those are direct lines out of the original story. But it's a question I have. So you're asking just, it, like, actually, why did they say that? I think he's just trying to tell him it was never meant to be. People do. Uh-huh. But you're not supposed to. Okay. Okay. I'm satisfied. So, Ellie goes over to Judd's house, but I don't remember why. Well, I mean, I, we can just talk about this in general, really, but Ellie and Judd form sort of like a, a really nice bond, and 
Judd kind of falls in love with Ellie. Not obviously not romantically. It's nothing creepy like that. But like, you know, he's like she's like his granddaughter, effectively. Yes. And it goes a long way towards explaining why he wants to prevent her from getting hurt later on in the story. So they they do spend a lot of time together. Judd ends up coming over for dinner occasionally. Ellie says that the cat's name is Church after Winston Churchill. And she asks him if he knows who that is. And he says, yeah, I know who Winston Churchill is. John Lithgow is Winston Churchill in The Crown on Netflix. I more appreciate her next line. Oh, you must be really old then. <laughs> Ignoring the fact that she knows who Winston Churchill is. Well, it's the only reason she knows is because of the cat. So funny. <laughs> but it's a cute thing that kids often say super offensive stuff because they just don't know any better. Right. But also, she sees the picture of Judd's wife. And this is so dumb. This is, again, it's insulting to the readers. It's not making me happy that you're including a character that you took out. Because <laughs> she is, she's a full-blown character in the novel. She dies, and that has an effect on things. If you're going to take that completely out, why keep her in at all other than to make it a creepy moment at the very end when I guarantee you the people who have not read the book are like, who the fuck is this bitch? Because they don't remember that at the very beginning of the film, she asked, who's that in the picture? That's my wife. She died. Right. But you know, you know, when she appears later, you know that that's his wife. You're not confused about that. But it's that. not making any impact because nobody knows who this bitch is mm -hmm. and what she meant to him and what they and, there and is what this, their relationship in the was. Book, there's a whole relationship, too, where she's dying and Judd is having a hard time dealing with this. And a lot of Judd and Lewis's relationship is built up because Lewis comes by and like treats her and gives her checkups and things like that throughout the movie. And that's very foundational to their relationship. At this point, really the only reason Judd cares about this family is because of Ellie, which I guess gives it a more direct relationship to, you know, Ellie being the focal point of the story. But really, Lewis should be the focal point of the story. But it's hard to do that when you have Jason What's-His-Face in the role. <laughs> that night, Lewis has a dream where Victor Pascal takes him to the place and tells him that the ground is sour. You tried to help me, so I'm going to try and help you. I did enjoy the transition I really liked oh, that. Oh, yeah, where he walks through the door, and then, yeah, he looks behind him, and there's just a door sitting in the middle of a of the, of forest. the forest. Yeah, no, that was pretty cool. I thought that was cool. So I think some of the visuals are neat here. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know why they're including Victor Pascal at this point, but whatever. Again, he's telling him the ground is sour, which, again, he doesn't know what that means yet. And even when, when he goes to the ground he's not like hey you know this ghost came and told me before i even knew this existed that the ground here was sour can we talk about that like it doesn't it, the warning is completely ineffectual exactly next day i guess is halloween and church is dead which by the way they they bumped it up a holiday as we all know as we all know the original takes day. place during thanksgiving day for cats that's right. Today is Thanksgiving Day for cats. But only 
If they came back from the dead. <laughs> but only if they're dead. <laughs> Play dead. Be dead. Go on. Lie down. Play dead. Be dead. He tells his wife that night. Church died. I'm going to have to bury him. It's a great moment, I feel, when Judd has to tell Lewis. Like, Lewis, come over here. And they, like, talk about it. And, like, Ellie shouldn't see this. The wife is really upset. And, you know, you can't tell her, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, honey, it's time to open up. You and I both know that this is not about our daughter and her cat. This is about you and Zelda. And you need to tell me about this. She... Tells her story. It's slightly different from the original. Mm-hmm. So this time, she decides to put the food... So she's still feeding her sister. That's how she dies. But she ends up putting it on a dumb waiter because she doesn't want to see her sister because her sister scares her. Well, her sister actively torments her in this. Yeah, her sister is mean to her. And they the way the filmmakers explained it is that they wanted to make it, like... In their words, grounded, a grounded, sad story, even if you strip out the supernatural aspects, because Zelda taunts Rachel with her own sickness because she hates herself and you hate your sister because she's healthy and you're not like there's this contentious relationship there and it really fucked Rachel up. So what happens? So, because she put it on the dumbwaiter, the sister was forced to get up out of bed. Mm-hmm. And apparently the dumbwaiter didn't always work. Something happened where Zelda tried to get the food, and instead, because it didn't go all the way up, she ended up on top of the dumbwaiter? No, I think she just, when she fell? opened it to get it, and the thing wasn't all the way up where it was supposed to go, and then it came back down, she fell into the open dumbwaiter shaft. And landed on top of the dumbwaiter, smashing it. And that's when we see her from above. And it scares Rachel half to death. And they do change it. They do not make her as evil of a sister here. And I am not talking about Zelda. Because if you remember back to the original and you remember the original story, she runs outside screaming. Mm-hmm. And people think that she's upset that her sisters died. But she admits that, no, she was actually laughing. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. They take that out here. Yeah. Because they want to make the mom purely a sympathetic character, and I, which I didn't appreciate. No, I think I'm fine with that because it does explain Rachel's kind of fucked up relationship with death. And it explains why this evil place wants to exploit that. But I kind of like that about the original story because it makes her not like this... Angel. Perfect. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, what her parents did was wrong. Leaving her alone with her sister was wrong. Having her feed her sister was wrong. But it shows yeah. that she has darkness in her, too. Yeah. And and as she grows up, that turns into guilt for her. Yes. They still have her feel guilty in this, but she's not as guilty. It's more of a childish guilt. What, what movie were we talking about recently about guilt where they reduce- it, chapter two. Yeah, another Stephen King story where they actually reduce the amount of actual guilt. They do not guilt. reduce it. They make it a whole ten times oh, worse. right. Okay, so in it, 
in it, he feels guilty his whole life when he shouldn't. But in the movie, they make it to where it actually is just a little bit, not all the way, but just actually a little bit his fault. And they do it with Mike, too. And so it's like this sort of false guilt originally that they turn into real guilt and it completely removes the message. And so in this this one, it goes kind of the, the other way, the other direction. They make her have less guilt. Uh-huh. But she's also almost more see, like in the original, she's scared of her sister and she carries that trauma around with her. In this, she's more guilty. She feels more guilty, but she's actually less guilty. So it's I don't know. I mean, I guess physically she did more. She made her get up out of bed, whereas in the original, she should feel guilty for being happy. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it changes things around a little bit. But ultimately, this place preys on that guilt that she has. But so also, like we said, she did torment her sister. She, she would say things like, "You one day you'll end up just like me and you won't be able to get out of bed either. And so that's kind of her biggest fear is that she'll end up that way. Yeah. So Church is dead. And Judd says to Lewis, we should bury him tonight. And so they go throughout the day. I think he might even say, I don't know where church is. And then at night, after everyone goes to sleep, he and Judd go out to the pet cemetery to bury it. But then Judd takes him even further. And they go to... It's great. He says, follow me. And he's like, what's the matter with right here? Uh Uh-huh. And they go to the sour ground. You gotta do it yourself. And then you got to make a cairn with the with the with the the rocks, rocks that you find when you actually dig the grave. You make a cairn with that. And, and while he's doing this, lightning strikes in the background. <laughs> Again, in the original story, you might be asking to yourself, or at least in the original movie, if Judd knows what happens to things that are buried here, why does he do this? This movie explains that it's a combination of his love for Ellie and his desire to not see her hurt. And this evil place preying on that and amplifying that and making him make decisions that he wouldn't normally make. So they do a lot better job of explaining that, I think. So the next day, they try to tell Ellie that he's probably run away. She's like, church is right there. Well, first she's like, I saw him outside last night. Well, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, oh, I heard him in the room over here. You know, and so they look in the closet and there he is and he's hissing. And Rachel's like, I thought you told me he was dead. Good thing you're not a vet. Yeah. (laughs) So they used egg whites and something called Cherry Knoll Chalk Block. Cherry Knoll is a brand and this chalk block is specifically for grooming animals. Like it's a chalk that you put in their fur. And so they combined that with egg whites to make make it look all matted. Yeah. They put leaves, dried grass, a little bit of dirt. But apparently the cats fucking loved it. (laughs) When there was blood, they'd use corn syrup, like in Scream. And corn syrup and food coloring. And they would like lick it off of themselves and everything. And they just run around with it and it didn't bother them at all. There were like three or four different cats that played church. And they're so cute. They're very gorgeous cats. (laughs) So he goes to talk to Judd and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) And Judd's like, we did it for Ellie. And he's like, we did what for Ellie? (laughs) 
I mean, Judd's like, ah, oh, there's there's something off with the ground there, and this is when Lewis says it's sour. He's like, yeah, actually, that's exactly right. I came to believe that those woods belonged to something else. The the ground was bad. Sour. The ground is sour. Yeah. So a few things happen in Ellie's relationship with Church. He scratches her when he was when she's trying to pet him and groom him. And so she tells Lewis, uh, can you close the door? I don't want him in my room anymore. We had another creepy dream sequence. The wife starts to see Zelda places and she tells him, I think it was a mistake coming here. Lewis finds a weird drawing that Ellie claims Gage drew, and that doesn't lead any fucking where. I think it's supposed to be Victor. Because it's like a stick figure with blood coming out one side of the head. I'm not certain, though. But it's not until Church attacks Gage that Lewis finally uh, confronts Judd, and Judd tells him the whole story. Um, about his dog and how it came back and how the dog the dog ended up attacking somebody and the dad had to kill him again, put him down again. And he's like, you know, you should have not done this if you knew that. He just tried to hurt my son, Gage. John Lithgow says, well, you know, you make up the sweetest smelling reasons to go back, but the truth is it's evil and it pulls you back. Yeah. I thought it would be different with Ellie's cat. I mean, Biff had a mean streak to begin with. But Church well, was a nice cat. I tried to hurt Gage. I'm so sorry, Lewis. I am. Once you feel the power of that place, you make up the sweetest smelling reasons to go back. But I was wrong. Sometimes dead is better. And Judd is very vulnerable, and he's very sorry. So Ellie has her birthday party, and she's upset the whole time because Church, she thinks Church has run away, but the truth is, is that Lewis dropped him off in the middle of nowhere. Just like, you know, get get out of here, get lost. Yeah, and she feels guilty because she thinks that kicking him out of the out of her room at night is what caused him to run away. So he comes to her birthday party church he comes walking down the uh the street and that is why ellie goes out into the middle of the street but that is not the main problem gage sees ellie out in the street and so gage runs after ellie and ellie apparently goes deaf for the next five minutes yeah there's all this screaming gage (laughs) says jason what's his face and he runs after him with a gigantic truck coming down the road yes and so he reaches gage and scoops him up which doesn't happen in the in the original obviously and gets him out of the way but not before the truck driver notices that he's about to hit somebody and swerves and he sort of jackknifes and the actual cab tips over and goes off to the side of the road and the tank that he's pulling behind him slides forward on its side just as Ellie stands up and turns around and then it so it nails her. So silly. And so Rachel runs out to where 
Ellie is while Lewis has Gage. And then as he approaches where they are, it's obvious what's happened. And Ellie's off in a ditch off the side of the road, dead. Stephen King said about this. He said, after initially saying it's a scary movie, be warned. He said, later, it's something different. They did a good job. Boy, I saw all the stuff that came online when people realized it was Ellie rather than Gage that got run over in the road. And I'm thinking like, man, these people, it's so nuts. Like he's just baffled that people are feel so upset about this. Because he can't, he doesn't understand how much people love his writing. I don't know. And he doesn't have a problem with saying movies or uh, uh, adaptations of his are bad. <laughs> but name one modern Stephen King adaptation that he wasn't totally on board with. Right? You can't. It's like he does nothing but praise these adaptations now. This is when we get the famous line, sometimes dead is better from Judd. Yeah, he's like, I know what you're thinking. I never should have shown you that place. To which Lewis says, but you did. Uh-huh. But it, you did. This whole moment is is encapsulated in two lines in the original when, before Gage dies, when Lewis is asking about the place because Church came back and he's like, has anyone ever buried a person up there? And Judd's response is he, he knocks over his glass and he says, Christ on his throne, no. And whoever would. <laughs> Has anyone ever buried a person up there? Christ on his throne, no. And whoever would. And then you find out that there really was. Yes. Uh-huh. Which they took out completely from uh-huh. this version. They do no, not. No, there's like a story. He So he does research. Lewis does research. And he's looking at all these newspaper Animals. clippings. No, there's one about... So a, a veteran coming back. That is the story. But apparently it's just a two second thing that yeah, I didn't even uh-huh. fucking notice. Yeah. Anyway, John Lithgow's great in this. The only bad thing is that he never says, oh, we don't go down that road. <laughs> they have the whole funeral and everything. And he sends his wife engaged to stay with her parents. And there is absolutely nothing going on with her parents. We don't. Nope. None of that is in this, in this movie. Very quickly. Lewis comes to the decision to to bury Ellie in the ground, mm-hmm. which in the original it took time. He, he he grappled with this decision, but in this movie, no, it's his plan from the get go. And so he goes over to Judd's place, where Judd's out at um, a fire pit in front of his house, and and he brings two glasses and some whiskey, I assume. And pour some, and then when Judd isn't looking, he dips some sort of powder into Judd's and then hands it to him. This is what I'm talking about when I say John Lithgow does a great job. Because he gets, like, super emotional about Ellie's death, and he feels really uh, terrible about it. And then that combined with the fact that his heart starts beating really, really fast, and he starts sweating, and he's about to pass out... And so, like, having to convey that plus the extreme emotion, he does a great job. He did. You know, when you came walking over here, it was a relief. I was going to come to see you. I should never have shown you that place. I know what you're thinking you're doing, Lewis, but she won't come back the same. I'm so goddamn sorry. 
I did this. Ellie is the first person to touch my heart in a long time. I didn't want her to be so sad. It's that goddamn place. It feeds on your grief, gets into your mind. Damn it. I need to close my eyes for a minute. <laughs> Jason Clark had actively poisoned him in order to knock him out so he wouldn't get in his way and try to stop him. Meanwhile, back with the mom and Gage, Gage says, Pascal, Pascal! And you're not going to convince me that that wasn't supposed to be reminiscent of Red Rum. Yeah. Well, no, it's very much so because she even holds him, you know, with his head over her shoulder and looks at the direction he was looking, you know, but in The Shining, she ends up seeing the reflection where it says murder. In this, she doesn't see anything, but eventually she hears him and he's telling her to go home. Yes, go home. Between when she's at her parents' house and when she gets home, Lewis does the whole thing. He buries his daughter there's never any hullabaloo over the fact that the body was exhumed from the grave. No. Nope. That's just never brought up. But he buries her, and then she comes back and scares him half to death. She's like, Daddy? And he's like, oh, God. Daddy. Where am I? And he gives her a bath, tries to brush her hair. Notices finds the, the staples, staples in the in back her head. of her head. Yeah. What is it? Nothing. Just a tangle. Uh-huh. And she starts to talk. And this was an interesting interpretation. It's kind of like a mix of Ellie and the spirit. Whereas in the yes. original, it's just the you spirit. Very, very much so. And so, I mean, throughout the rest of this movie, you start to ask questions like, okay, even if this was just like evil Ellie, why would she say this stuff? And how would she know half this stuff? Well, it's because it's the it's the spirit of this place. That's taking over her. Like when she talks to Rachel later about Zelda and it's your fault. You killed her. You know, all that stuff. Like how would Ellie even know this stuff? It's because she doesn't. The place does. Right. But in the original, the spirit knows all the things that Gage knows and he uses that against people. Yeah. However, you never get the feeling that it's partly Gage inside. Whereas here... The way the girl talks to him, I remember my birthday party. I remember I was so happy church came home. But then what happened? And like everything went black, she says. And yeah. And none of that happens with the original. So this was very strange because it almost feels like Ellie is in there. Uh huh. Which makes it harder to hate her. Even though she's doing evil things. Yeah, I think it's fine. I think she gets taken over as time goes because burying her there is what allows the evil in and allows them to reanimate. But it doesn't mean the original isn't there. And so she goes downstairs and she loves to dance. So she goes downstairs in her burial dress, I guess. It's all dirty now because he buried her in it. And now they're trying for this creepy thing of a little girl dancing. But is it sinister? And her, her tutu's all dirty. Like, isn't that creepy? And she then she starts, starts to break, break things. things. And yeah, uh-huh. And you also, you skipped the part where she says, I'm dead, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I can hear the woods inside me. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Does mommy know about me? Yeah. 
after she does all this dancing and breaking things, he forces her to stop. And he's like, why'd you put that dress on? And she, her response is, what are you going to tell her about me? Yeah. So it's it's strange. It's a strange decision. Like, I mean, I'm not I'm not upset about that. I think it's weird because it makes her less evil and more like sympathetic. Like, oh, Jesus. Well, I think it's. It's like any sort of innocence has been stripped away. It's not that Ellie's evil. It's that the innocence is stripped away. And she she becomes evil as time goes. But it's like in the beginning of The Exorcist when she's being pulled back and forth between herself and between the evil entity. Yeah. And that makes more sense because she's being possessed as opposed to here. It's like, no, but you're dead. No, I think you can think of this as like a possession. Mm. But it's not clear. And that's the movie's fault. We see the wife driving back. She sees a sign that says Dairy 20, 20 miles. miles. And then I don't know where the fuck Lewis goes, but Ellie ends up going over to Judd's house. Yeah. Where's Lewis during all of this? Sleeping. He's exhausted. <laughs> work? I don't know. I doubt he would be. Although he did say he had to finish up some things at work before he could join her at Rachel's parents' place. Right. I know. But anyway, he's nowhere to be found, and she goes over to Judd's place and starts terrorizing Judd. And then there's this moment where he thinks that she's under his bed, which is where Gage was in the original. There's no reason for him to think she's under there. And the movie spends a lot of time. Yeah, but if I were looking for a little kid, I'd look under the bed. But he doesn't lean down or anything like that. He, like, kicks the bed away. And the movie spends a lot of time of, like, tension on this moment. She could be anywhere and under anything. The only reason the movie is paying attention to this bed is because that's where Gage was in the original. I disagree. No, I I was watching it and I'm like, why would I be tense about this moment? If I didn't already know that that's where the person is supposed to be. It could be under the couch downstairs. She could be under anything. She could be in his closet. Like, why does he just focus on this bed? Anyway, she's not there. He starts to go down the stairs, and she cuts his attend his Achilles heel from the bottom. So instead of slicing, she stabs into his heel and then slices outwards, cutting that tendon. It doesn't matter how kind of fake it looks. It's gruesome every time. But, I mean, that's very similar to what happened to him in the original. This is when Ellie turns into his wife. Because apparently she has the power to do that. You did this to her. We're suffering. And now you'll suffer with us. She's burning in hell because of what you did to her. And the movie doesn't say anything about what that is. You're sweet Norma. She's burning down in hell for what you did to her. I saw her there, Judd. What? You just gave... A character that we've grown to love over the course of this film. Uh-huh. A horrific backstory. An implied horrific backstory. And just did nothing with it. Uh-huh. In the last ten minutes of the movie. What? Mm-hmm. Just, just what was that? I don't know who she is unless I happen to remember the line that Ellie said at the very beginning of the film. Fine, it's an easy thing to jump to. What on earth did he do to his wife that caused her to burn in hell? Right. Now, you could very easily say he's just a demon. He's just fucking with him. And that's all fine. But that's not the way Judd responds. Right. right. It implies something that is not refuted in any way. If I were Judd, I would laugh and be like, I didn't do shit. What the fuck are you talking about? 
Although he does say, I know you're not her. I know you're not my wife or Norma or whatever her name is. I don't know. But it doesn't stop her from climbing on top of his chest and stabbing him to death with the scalpel. So Judd's dead and his house is caught on fire now. Does that start here? I don't remember. I completely missed when the house started on fire. Okay, so Rachel comes home. I think Rachel's reaction to seeing Ellie was just perfect. I loved it. She's horrified. She doesn't know how to react. She doesn't know what to do. She's taken aback. Her breath, her voice is taken away from her. And she says Ellie. And then Ellie says, the great and terrible. Elephant. The great and terrible. What? I mean, seriously, I would challenge anybody who's never read the books or seen the original movie to explain to me why she says that. It's not in the original movie. They took it out completely. No, but I'm saying, like, there's no... If if all you had to go on was this movie, tell me why she says that. If not to just be some sort of clever, quippy thing to say. Yeah. And Lewis says, in a very creepy way, and because he's kind of lost it at this point, hug your daughter, Rach. Hug your daughter. Hug your daughter, Rach. <laughs> hug your daughter. And so this problem between Ellie and Rach is kind of twofold. Number one, Rachel rejects her. Obviously, for very obvious reasons. And two, whoever we we've said like in the sequel, Pet Cemetery 2, I can't remember if the original movie mentions it, but you have to bury your own. What this movie does with that is whoever buries it becomes irrevocably attached to it. Church is Lewis's cat now. Ellie is Lewis's daughter now. And so Rachel stands in the way of that and becomes sort of a threat. To Ellie, and that's why Ellie wants to get at Rachel. That's why she preys on her with the guilt about her sister Zelda, says things that Ellie could have no way of knowing. When Rachel and Lewis have a conversation about this, like, what the fuck, Lewis? What is this? And he kind of goes off about how he decided he was basically going to take his daughter back from God. He says the line, I did what I think was right. Let God take his own fucking kid. And it's a reference to a line that Ellie says when. She's introduced to the fact that animals can die. Ellie says, he's not God's cat. He's my cat. Let God get his own if he wants one. Not mine. Not mine. Number one, right? So it doesn't make much sense. And the line, let God take his own fucking kid, he did. It's kind of the whole point of Christianity. Like, it's such an, like, they wanted to include this line, and it doesn't, it's not nearly as strong as when Ellie says it about the cat. Let God get his own cat is basically what she says. Lewis says, let God take his own fucking kid. But like, it's so specific (laughs) that it's not like get your own. It's not telling God to get his own kid. This is my kid. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, let God take his own kid. Like, anyway, it it's it falls apart for two different reasons here. And it really bothers me. It's such a great line. He's not God's cat. He's my cat. Let God get his own if he wants one. So apparently that is something that Stephen King's daughter actually said. Yeah. Because her cat died, which is where this whole story came from for Stephen. He tells it in the foreword to the book. She was screaming in the garage, like, God have his own cat. I want, he's mine or something like that. Mm -hmm. So Ellie's mom is freaking out. Can't believe that her husband dug up their daughter she has this hallucination that Zelda is coming for her because it's not. But she's been having these hallucinations since before. Right. 
like this is a thing. It's it's how the the place is preying on her guilt. Completely separate from Ellie. But it's not Ellie. Ellie doesn't turn into her sister, does she? No, but she says all the stuff that Zelda says in Rachel's hallucinations. Ellie jumps up and goes to kill the mother, and she says, Stop struggling, you useless cow. Which is funny, because in The Exorcist, the sow was mine. Yeah. And she, like, locks them in a room together. So it's Ellie, Rachel, and Gage, because... Rachel's holding Gage. And Rachel's freaking out. And so Lewis runs outside because Rachel's hanging out the window telling him to catch Gage, catch Gage. Uh, she's she's going to kill me or whatever. And so he catches Gage. And then when he runs back upstairs, he doesn't get to see what we do, which is. Well, he puts Gage in the car and yes, says, don't, and let it, don't let anybody in, including Ellie. Meanwhile. Ellie stabs and kills Rachel. But there's some important things that she says there. Uh Uh-huh. She calls her mother a liar and says, you prayed she would die. Which is new information that they didn't give us earlier. Uh Uh-huh. Seems weird to be in sort of a climactic moment when we're focusing on the fact that there's a murder, murder zombie here. To which she says, you're not my daughter, which makes it seem like it's just a lie. So maybe just this demon just lies and brings up stuff from the book to supposedly make the readers happy, yeah, which I it fucking know. doesn't. Uh-huh. She says, you're not my daughter. So Ellie says, then go be be with her. And she tries to kill her. And the last thing the wife says before she dies is, please do not bury me in that place. Don't bury me in that place. What? Yeah. And it looks like Lewis might listen to her. But it doesn't matter because Ellie knocks him the fuck out. Yes. And so when he wakes up, she's already gone. And Gage is still in the car, but Ellie and Rachel's dead body are gone and he knows where she's taking her. So he follows her out to the burial ground and gets into a fight with Ellie. Like it's a it's an action scene where they like fight each other. Yeah. Physically. And it's she's really like, you weird. know, it's the same as when you buried me and It'll be better this way or whatever. Yeah. So it for a moment, it seems like Lewis is easily going to overpower her. But then the ground magically works a lot, hell of a lot faster than it ever did before. Uh-huh. And up pops the mom and she's able to kill him. Yes. So now Lewis is dead. And now they're a lovely, happy zombie family. Well, then they come back to see Gage, who perfect, perfect Gage in this is like he sees his family, but he's still really fucking worried. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. He knows what his dad told him. And as they come to the car that's locked and they like, oh, look in the window and stuff like that. The movie ends. But we know what happens. We saw the beginning. The door to the car is open and it's smeared with bloody handprints. So they were successful. We know ultimately. And then we get the god-awful remake of the song, which is really bad. Yeah. It's, it's real bad. We talk about it a lot more in episode 80, about an hour 15 into the episode. I'd recommend you go back and listen to that because we do we do talk about that. I talk about how I'm unreasonably angry at the movie, how it did Judd dirty, which we talked about that, even though John Lithgow did a fantastic job. They did a good job with Church. The change to the daughter was 100% the wrong one. The new version of the song sounds like it's going to be Don't Fear the Reaper at the beginning because it starts. (laughs) 
which the original does not, so it doesn't make any sense. We also say who knows we might do an episode on it, so here we are, 42 episodes later. We say it was just okay. It was not scary, it was not thrilling, and I said every change pissed me off. I've softened on it a little bit. I don't hate the ending. I do think it's lazier. I think it's worse, like a sort of, oh, can you believe we went there sort of edgy ending. There were multiple endings that were shot. Some were written, but never shot. Some were shot. And then they focus tested it to test audiences, and they showed them two different endings. So there's the ending we got. Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who's one of the producers, said, a lot of times with endings, you just kind of let the audience tell you what they're feeling. We got to screen both of them to people, and it just seemed like audiences really responded to that one. Widmire, one of the directors, said, it's wrapped up, but not how you think it's going to be. There are so many movies, even horror movies, that end in happy endings where somebody beats the bad guy. Films like Hereditary or Rosemary's Baby have these dark endings. Rosemary's Baby is a good example because it's a dark ending. She's kind of happy that she has her kid. You get to leave the theater not exactly sure how you feel, which is always more interesting to me. Whenever you're able to do that, it's a victory for the genre. He's declaring a victory for himself, I guess. So in the alternate ending, when it was released to home video, which I will forever call it, even though it's not home video anymore, Lewis does not kill Ellie. Together, they decide to bury Rachel in the pet cemetery in order to be a family together forever. They burn down Judd's house. Lewis and Ellie go to the car where Gage is locked in, and Rachel is reunited, is uh, resurrected, and comes back. And so now Ellie, Church, and Rachel are all dead. Lewis is still alive and holding Gage, who is crying. And that's how the movie ends. I don't know how I feel about that because it does tie into more the original ending where Lewis is ultimately kind of gone mad and does bury his dead wife there. And we don't know what ends up happening ultimately other than the fact that she does come back. We can assume that eventually he'll die <laughs> or he'll have to kill her again. Yeah, it. the thing about it is the original movie is silly. So I recognize that this movie tried to make it a little bit more mature. But honestly, I think that made it a little bit more boring, a little more dull. Yeah. The change of Ellie to Gage was a big mistake, I feel. The ending, uh, it's so funny because the rest of the movie felt like it was trying to be more mature. The ending felt kind of silly. Yeah. It's not scary, and I don't know, it just kind of felt like a nothing movie, like, okay, yeah, that exists. They also talk about the Wendigo in this, which is a Native American thing about cannibalism. It's a warning not to resort to cannibalism, basically. Depends on what version. Like, there's so many No, but that's what it originally is. Okay. But now it's trying to turn the Wendigo into the spirit of this place that the Native Americans didn't create through their own lore. They get there and then they named this spirit the Wendigo which is kind of weird. Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who I mentioned, one of the producers before, has suggested that if this movie does well enough, I mean, critically, it didn't do great, but I don't know what it did commercially, that they would make a prequel. He says he's not interested in a sequel, but if this one's successful enough, there's a lot of stuff 
that the book mentions that happens before the creeds ever move in. But we already know how all of that panned out. That's the nature of a prequel. Also, Christopher Young did the music for this. He also did the music for The Dark Half in 1993, which was the trivia question earlier. And at one point, we mentioned this before, Judd says the line, there was a big St. Bernard, he got rabies. Which is how his dog got sick, which is why they had to put his dog down in the first place. But this is a reference to Cujo. Yes. What do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? I feel like I know. Okay. Is it 53? It's 57. Pet Cemetery takes its source material in a few different directions, but this remake feels like an exhuming almost as often as it does a revival. Which is interesting. I'm surprised I didn't see more comments. I did see a few about how sometimes dead is better, about how why would you remake this? Why would you resurrect it? <laughs> the whole point is not to resurrect things, and that sometimes dead is better. Yeah. Uh, Metacritic of 57, cinema score of C+. You think the movie is overrated or underrated? Slightly overrated. What would you give it? I'm just going to give it 50. 50 sounds good to me. That's what I feel about this movie. Like, there's... I don't think it's awful. I really don't. I don't think it was a piece of trash or garbage. And even though I found it insulting, it wasn't insulting enough to make me angry. Like, it was just like, eh, fuck you. Like, why did, no, that was dumb. But, like, it didn't make me, like, super, like, oh, my God, they destroyed the source material. This is the lucky thing here is I did not read that book until last year. Yeah, we both read it. And I had seen the movie, the original film, way before that. So, like, this, this is not one of Steven's, like, piece of holy text like I think it is, which is why I feel like just the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but see, I, I was different. I, and this normally isn't like me. It's more like you. I came out of the movie very upset. If Cinema Score had been there rating audience thoughts and they asked me, I would have given it an F. I was so pissed at everything this movie did wrong. And I've softened on it since earlier in 2019. It's been almost a year. Ultimately, I think this movie is just boring and yeah. not It does some exciting. things right. It does some things well. Not enough to watch an hour and a half to two hour movie. <laughs> the one like big thing I gave it praise for was I really like the way they did that dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and that I really like interesting. Judd. I really like Judd. The plot does him dirty, but his performance is great. All right. That is 2019's Pet cemetery and thus ending our franchise wrap-up episode let's talk very briefly about dr sleep we did watch it we ended up splitting it over two nights because it's like two and a half hours long it's quite long and we started it a little we, late we left like the last 45 minutes for the next day which was basically all the stuff that takes place in all the shiny, the shiny yeah all yeah. the stuff at uh <laughs> the overlook yeah <laughs> was what we got left with what did i think of it i thought it was fine yeah that's I, exactly what I would say. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I would not say it was bad. But I didn't, I didn't mind all the pandering, honestly. But I didn't think it did much to make it exciting and right. like, ooh, I want to tell everybody to see this. None of it really impressed me, I think, is the thing about it. It was just kind of felt like it exists and I don't mind that it exists. I thought the main two actors, I thought Ewan McGregor did a great job. And I thought the chick who played the one in the hat did a great mm -hmm. job. I thought the young girl was pretty damn good. Uh-huh. But it just, yeah, it was good. What do you think about Elliot playing Jack? Who is Elliot and who is Jack? Elliot from E.T., 
the dad from oh. the haunting at Hill House. Meh. I thought he did fine. I didn't like. It wasn't supposed to be a perfect. They weren't supposed to be Jack Nicholson. Oh, they were going for no, Jack no, no. Nicholson. They were going. They were going for they evoking that, but they weren't trying to be like, no, this is supposed to be Jack Nicholson. And the same thing with Scatman Crothers. They were going for evoking that, but it's not supposed to be him. Hey, guess what movie? Jack Nicholson's still fucking alive. But he's not that young. You can give him makeup. <laughs> yes. Could have done you know, that. He's also like a hundred pounds fucking more it than he used too, to be. You softened all the kids' faces. Yeah, and people complain to high heaven about that. Every time they do it in Star Wars, people complain. So I'm I'm totally fine with the way they did it. It was just, it was a lot of, hey, remember this, hey, remember that. And yes, it does connect back to his story. So it's not completely pointless. I will say this, they did pretty, I was impressed with how they were able to mingle the two together. Yes. I mean, especially because this is something I said, um, oh, Stephen King gets the ending he wanted. <laughs> So I'll try to avoid spoilers here, but there's something that happens in the book and in the miniseries made for television. The ending of that does not end the same way that the Kubrick version does. And so when they go back to the Overlook in the book, the situation is completely different. But since this is using the original movie for a lot of its source material, it leaves it in sort of this sort of limbo place where... It can't be like it was in the Doctor Sleep book because the ending of Kubrick's movie ended differently. And they they managed to wrap it around to where King got the ending he wanted. I, I, I was just, I was really impressed by that because as soon as I saw they were making Doctor Sleep and as soon as I saw that they were going to try and use stuff from the original film, I was like, no. They're not going to marry together. It's not going to work. And they did it. Yeah, it worked. It really, really did. And I thought, I thought, well, if they do that, then there's no way they can respect Dr. Sleep. Now, granted, it's been a couple years since I read it, but from what I remember, mm -hmm. it did a really good job. Of I'm volume. surprised they put so much stuff, as much stuff in it as they did. Mm -hmm. uh, like, and that they weren't terrified that audiences, just general audiences would reject it. Because it's kind of some weird shit going on. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Will we do an episode on it? Eh. Probably. But it'll be a while. It'll be a while. Yeah. But I liked it. I just... It wasn't amazing. I, like, I didn't come out of it like, oh, I gotta tell people to see this. I was just like, oh, I liked it. Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan of the book and you're a fan of the Kubrick version, this is a great opportunity to sort of... Mix them together. Join them together. And yeah, you should see it, but don't expect to walk away wild or anything like that. Ewan McGregor did a good job. <laughs> he, but he always does. <laughs> All right. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is Valentine's Day. Okay. So we will continue our tradition of doing holiday movies. We are going to be doing a movie called Lover's Lane. <clears throat> nope. We're not doing Lover's Lane because you can't find that movie anywhere. It's not streaming anywhere. You can't even download it illegally. If you want it on DVD, you can spend $50 or you can get it on VHS for $7. But I don't even think we have a VHS player in this house. So instead, we're going to go the comedy route. 
with the comedy zombie movie that's all about love, My Boyfriend's Back. So we're going to pair My Boyfriend's Back with... This was already on our list because it's a Valentine's Day movie, but this was also recommended to us from Joe from Buffalo, and it's called Pontypool. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I've, I've been wanting to see it for a while now. Which apparently is takes place on Valentine's Day. As far as I know, Valentine's Day has nothing to do with the plot, but it takes place on that day. All right, then. So Excited for that. So My boyfriend's back. And Pontypool. So that'll be next week for our Valentine's Day episode. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, Pod Cemetery. Follow us on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. Same thing for Instagram, but there's only a few things up there right now because let me tell you, Instagram does not make it easy. If you don't take a picture with your phone, it's nearly impossible to get something up on Instagram. You can't do it on your desktop. So what do I have to do? I need to upload it to some sort of file sharing service. And then I need to download it on my phone. And then I need to post it to Instagram, which copies another version of that very same thing back onto my phone again. So now I have two copies plus one in the cloud plus one on my on my computer. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I do not like Instagram because I am an old but whatever. There are a lot of people there and they would like us to be there. So I'll try to make it work. Or you can always send us mail. Yeah, at the address that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'll also put it in the episode description, plus it's on our website, on our About page. So, like we said before, those of you who had mentioned maybe potentially mailing us something, you do have the ability to do that, whether it's for the show or for the wedding or whatever. This is not us just being greedy, because let me tell you, it probably costs a lot more than anything we would get. (laughs) So please take advantage of that. We would really appreciate that to see what you have to share with us. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Name's Ash. Housewares. We are going to be doing a movie called Lover's Lane. Do you know what it's about? As far as I know, it's a typical 80s slasher, which I love. So I'm hoping it's not like a garbage one um, about a guy who decides to kill off very Freddy Krueger. He's killing off the children, the people who originally put him in jail or something like that. And for whatever reason, it all happens on Valentine's Day. Y'all ready for this? Cast magic missile. On what? There's no one there. The darkness. darkness. Did they say that in either Evil Dead? Or does that not get brought up until Army of Darkness? I want to say they might mention it in two but i couldn't say it for certain but yes the famous line shop smart shop s smart 
I think I've used that in one of our brought to you by segments at the beginning of every episode. Probably. It'll probably be at the beginning of this one too. The spirit unknows all the things that Gage knows. You said unknows. Well, now we're a zombie family living happily. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? Before we go there, should we talk about Dr. Sleep? Oh, you're right. Oh my God. Yes. Dr. Sleep. I have the high ground. (laughs) You were the chosen one. (laughs) Anyway. You were supposed to bring balance to the force, not... Yeah, balance to the force. You mean when there were no Sith that anybody knew about and then there was a prophecy that somebody would bring balance to the force and you weren't like, oh, that probably means he's a bad guy. Come on. Come on. George Lucas, thank you, but you're ridiculous. Anyway, wow, way off track. George Lucas, you had one good idea. (laughs) It's like the Matrix. (laughs) Where the only reason the first one was good was because of all the limitations that it had. And then when they're giving the free reign to do whatever they want, they end up making that. (laughs) That would be a new Matrix movie. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes.